Well, welcome again, Centerpoint family and those that are watching. This is uh, kind of where we're at in this time of life that we're in, and, it, and it's interesting for sure. And um, we're all learning how to live by it and live through it and live with it. And uh, I'm sure that this COVID virus is going to be here for a while, and we're just going to have to learn how to manage it and learn with, live with a little bit risk uh, of risk with it possibly, uh, but wisdom will certainly prevail. So let's pray one more time as we begin to, uh, as we prepare our hearts now for the message that I believe the Lord's laid on our heart. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we are just seeking your wisdom and guidance here, and we are just uh, really asking you to uh, show up today. Um, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of the listener, and I pray that you would prepare my heart as the speaker and Lord, I pray that the words that are spoken are directly from you and not from me. And I pray the ideas are your ideas. And I pray, Father, that you would accomplish your perfect plan today in the message that's, that's, uh, that's being given. And, uh, and I pray this way for other pastors as well, that everyone that is a God-fearing man that stands in front of a, a phone today or in, in front of a camera or even in front of an audience, that they are um, asking you for your love and for your wisdom and your direction. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, um, the title of the passage is Peace. I think we all want peace. But the question is, where does it come from? You know, in this time of COVID-19, this pandemic, uh, the upheaval and the fear of this um, disaster is hitting people at different times in different places. And uh, this is something that is um, not... No person is immune to it. Every person has a level of anxiety or a level of fear or a level of unrest. And uh, so I just felt led this morning that, uh, that the Lord wants me to talk about peace. And, uh, and we're going to talk about peace in the way that the Lord, I believe, gives us peace. So this is a truth word today. Everyone is seeking truth. In fact, when I look at the virus and I look at the situation that's going going around and going on, it seems like uh, the, the lack of knowing if it's true or not is really frustrating. There is a lot of fake news. There's a lot of false truths that's given. And uh, we're seeking that truth. Where did this virus come from? Was it intentional? Uh, was it accidental? Um, what's the result of it going to be? What's the end point going to be? Um, how do we protect ourselves in the midst of the virus? Do we wear masks like Larry or like Jackie did? And personally, I hope not. But anyway, that's my opinion. Um, but when's the vaccine coming? And uh, how are we going to be able to operate and live in this world um, with this level of risk? So the list goes on and on and on. And, and there are a lot of um, areas of truth that we're seeking. The Bible says something that's really true about truth. And the truth, when you hear it, it sets you free. And maybe not just when you hear it, but when you apply it. The truth sets us free. And so today I want to talk about the truth of God's word um, when it comes to the true and lasting peace that only God can give us. So I'm going to ask you right now to get your Bible out. If you don't have your Bible, uh, take a minute, go across a room, go dig it out of the closet or the, whatever, it's, but wherever it's at, but get your Bible out because I'm going to be referencing a lot of scriptures today. And so, I, and so a, a Bible, a pen and paper, uh, write it down, uh, you know, flip through the pages, 
Uh, but I really want you and all of us to make sure that we're focusing whatever we say on the Bible because that's the only source of truth that I know of. And I won't speak of any other source other than it's the Bible. So get your Bible out. Can let me just say before one more thing before I, as I preface this message that this is one of those truth-based messages that may be hard to hear. I'm just going to give you a warning right now. Uh, this is not going to be maybe a pleasant message because the truth of God's word isn't always easy to hear, but it's his truth. And um, when it's spoken in love, which it is, it's my heart, I believe and I'm trusting that God's word will penetrate uh, the fake news and the deception of the enemy and that we will find truth and with the truth we'll be set free and we'll be given great peace. So as I say that, there are some that are listening today, possibly, that are saying, Mike, well, I have peace. So I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I have peace. Well, can I say, um, let me say one of two things. Number one, you're either a really good Christian and you know where I'm going with already, so that's great. Or number two, you may not be a great Christian. And maybe if you're saying you have peace, maybe it's because you have money in your bank account and you have a solid job and your job's not at risk or you're healthy. Um, or your family relationships are intact. Um, or there's just a lot of things that the world will give us peace when things are going well for us. But take those elements away and then see where your peace goes. See what happens when you're not healthy or your job's at risk or you can't pay tomorrow's bills or uh, there's not food on a table. Then if you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead, but if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then I'm saying that the, the world's peace that is, you're giving through your resources and your bank account and uh, so forth, it just won't last. That's the hard part. Now, if you're already a, a believer of Jesus and you're already a true, a, a true believer, let me just say this too, that peace is not without its difficulties. What I mean by that is, is just because you may have God's peace and you may have a relationship with the Lord, that doesn't mean he's going to take all your problems away. God's peace actually is the most evident. Listen to this. God's peace is, is the most evident when you're in the worst problems of your life. When you're struggling with, these, with some areas and God's peace comes in, then you know where the peace comes from, and it comes from that relationship that you have with Jesus. It doesn't come from your circumstances. When money's tight, when jobs are at risk, when health isn't good, when cancer shows up or, over, or this virus shows up or a lost loved one happens or relationships are stressed, if you have a true relationship with Jesus, you can have the peace in the midst of all of it. And it's a choice for us to ask God for it and then trust him and he'll deliver it. He'll deliver it. Now, let me, so let's just move on. So that's kind of the premise. Number one, this may be a difficult message, um, but I pray that you'll be with me to the end. Stay with me on this one, I pray. So let me just state the fact that true peace is directly, directly related to a person's relationship with God. True peace is directly relational to your relationship with Jesus. What I mean by this is a person cannot have true and lasting peace unless they have a true and a lasting and a pure relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. A person that is born again 
has that peace and he can have that peace. A person that isn't born again, let me just say, guys, let me just cut to the chase. There is no room for fake here. There is no room for just trying to uh, fake it until you make it. This is not a time that we just, we're going to try to get peace on our own. There is a peace that comes only through relationship with Jesus. That's a supernatural peace, and that surpasses all of our understanding. And it's the peace that you and I can have and we can encourage each other with. So let's just say a couple things. God doesn't owe us anything. Can I just say that? God doesn't owe us anything. All right, let's just recognize this, that the first sin of Adam and Eve, God could have thrown us away. He could have said, you know what? I thought this was going to go better. I really thought Adam and Eve were going to really be faithful to me. I gave them the choice. I said, just stay. They can have all trees in the Garden of Eden. They can have all the fruit, all the blessings without any, any, any hindrances at all. All they had to do was stay away from that tree in the middle of the garden and not eat that fruit. And I thought it was going to be great. And when they did, God could have said, you know what, I'm done with you guys. And he could have just crumpled us up like a piece of paper, thrown us away and said, we're done. But his love is so great that he chose to go the distance with us. Everything we read in the Bible is his story of redemption for mankind. Everything that he does for us is about um, redeeming us, bringing us back into relationship with him. And it's his love, listen to this point, and this is, it's his love that drives his anger of sin and it brings the discipline of his children. It's his love, listen, and we're going to talk about this a lot today. His love is what uh, justifies his anger. And we're going to find later that he disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children. Why? Because he loves us. This isn't the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> Why? Because we love you. Remember the song on that? Boy, i got to get off that rabbit trail. Um, otherwise, I'll be like Jackie and Tom and have that song stuck in their head, and I won't be able to get out of that way. So God loves us because he loves us and because he has all good things in store for us. And I want to read a passage here that Paul wrote to the Philippians. And, and Paul understood what it means to have, to be able to speak and have to speak hard truth to his people. When I show you this message, you're going to, you're this passage, you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about. But let's read this. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. This is Paul speaking to the Philippian church. And he says, For I, as I have told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Do you see the emotion that Paul is speaking with here? He has some very hard things to say to the, to the people that he loves. And he says, I've told you this before, and I have to say it again. And it even brings me to tears to even have to say it. But many of you are living as enemies of the cross. Wow, that's a bad word. Think of that, that we're living as an enemy of the cross. And many people, obviously, in Paul's day were guilty of that. And I'm going to say many in today's world are also guilty of that. They may think you have a relationship with God. Yet because of their actions and because of their, uh, their, their beliefs and the way they've twisted, allowed the, the, twist, the word to be twisted in their minds, that they have lost the relationship or maybe never had a relationship, and indeed they're enemies of the cross. 
Now, I'm not making this up. I'm just reading what Paul's saying. So let's just read it for what it is. Let's just recognize that there is no peace between enemies. Never has been, and there never will be. There's no peace when the end is destruction. There's no peace when people choose to worship their own selfish desires. There's no peace in shame. There's no peace when people have their minds set on earthly things that pass away and burn in the end. When God is giving us a clear direction to to walk in a path and we're not walking in it, I will just tell you, according to God's word, that we are enemies of the cross, and in that there there is no peace, because peace does not come with enemies. The instant, listen, the instant sin encroaches, peace flees. Peace and sin cannot cohabitate. Remember, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, it was peaceful. They had good relationship with God. Everything was great. And everything was good, and there was great peace until what happened? Until they sinned. And then they lost that peace. They lost that relationship. And that drove them to hide from God. That drove them to cover their nakedness with leaves because they were embarrassed because they knew they had lost the relationship that God had established with them. Sin comes in, peace flees. Please understand that. Sin and peace cannot cohabitate. You cannot play with the things of this world and still expect to have peace that lasts through all eternity. Now, I know that this sounds pretty demanding, But let me just say, it's only demanding if you have your own agenda to protect and defend. If you're living in a world that is not truly living for God, then this is a hard message. And this is one you're probably likely to want to turn off. But I'm going to encourage you to keep watching. Stay with me here to the end. See, the agenda that Satan has is a worldly agenda. And it's agenda, it's, a, it's an agenda that says, you know, I will give you everything that God says he'd give you. I'll give it to you too. I can do that. Well, let me tell you what he gives you. He gives you momentary, if at best, a momentary sense of peace, a momentary sense of accomplishment, a momentary sense of well-being because he's just keeping you in his trap. He's keeping you, he's baited you. He's got you on uh, the hook, on the line, and he's just playing you like a fish. But there is no peace there. He cannot give you peace because he does not have peace. You cannot give what you don't have. Satan has no peace with God because he has no relationship. He is a mortal enemy of God. Therefore, he has no peace and therefore he cannot give you peace. Please understand that. I am pleading with you as Paul pled pled with the Philippians here, even with tears, that don't allow the enemy to continue to play the game with you that he can give you peace when he can't. It's a lie, and it's deception. So let's talk about peace, the way the Bible defines it, and the way God provides it. I want to go to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was a prophet to the Israelites back in um, about five or 600 B.C., 536 B.C. or so. That's 530-some years before Christ was born, okay? That's what B.C. means. Let's set set the stage a little bit here. The Jewish people 
were God's chosen people. In fact, they still are God's chosen people. That's why we as Americans need to protect and stand up for Jerusalem. And we need to stand with Israel because the Jewish people are God's chosen people. And I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to say that because it's the truth. And I'm going to stand with the Jewish people. And I'm going to stand with Israel because that's what we need to do. And God will bless those that bless his country. And I'm going to get to a very important, port, a very important point in a few minutes about how we also can be part of that Jewish race, spiritually, of course. But anyway, the Jewish people, um, they had a history of rebellion. As much as God chose them, as much as God loved them, they still were uh, very rebellious people. You read the Old Testament, and it's all about their rebelliousness, their rebelliousness God uh, finding restoration with them again, they rebel again. And, and so at this point in time in Jeremiah's life, they are uh, divided into two groups. They have the, the 12 tribes of Israel had divided uh, into uh, two different um, kingdoms. The north kingdom called Judah is made up of two tribes, and the southern kingdom called Israel is made up of ten tribes. Both of them are in various stages of rebellion. They have separate kings, and they are rebelling against God's plans for them. Now, Jeremiah and all of the old, a number of the other Old Testament prophets, Ezekiel and all the minor prophets, were living in this day, and they were giving warning to the Jewish people about coming back to God. They were warning them of God's judgment and God's uh, anger that would be toward them if they didn't <coughs> repent. So I want to pick it up in uh, chapter 33 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 33, get your Bible, write, open it up, write it down, beginning at verse 1. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 5. It says, While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the Lord gave him this second message. This is what the Lord says, The Lord who made the earth, who formed and established it, whose name is the Lord, ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. You have torn down the houses of the city and even the king's palace to get materials to strengthen the walls against the siege ramps and the swords of the enemy. You expect to fight the Babylonians, but the men of this city are already as good as dead. For I have determined to destroy them in my terrible anger. I have abandoned them because of all their wickedness. All right, now let's, let's dissect this a little bit. God is reminding, first of all, of them who he is. God is the one who created the world and everything in it. God's the creator. And let's get that pecking order straight. He's the one that is in charge. God's the creator. Man is the creation. So who has the right to tell who what to do? Think about it. God goes on to say, Ask me, and I will tell you what is about to happen. God is willing to communicate to his people. He has no reason to hold any information back. He loves them. God is very transparent, and he's willing to share all the great things that he has in store for them, for those that are willing to listen and obey him. But then he goes on to tell them what they're doing. He sees all the things, including all the agendas and the motivations of their heart. There is nothing hidden from the sight of God. Then and now, let me just say it that way. The prophets here have been warning both kingdoms that destruction is coming from Babylon if they don't repent of their sins against God. Destruction's coming, guys. If you don't repent, destruction's coming. So what do they do? What, does, what do these Israelites do? Well, let me just tell you. Rather than repenting and seeking God's forgiveness so that God would protect them, 
what they do, as we see in this passage, is that they prepare to fight against Babylon on their own in defiance of God. God says, if you will come to me, I'll fight your battles. It's my battle to fight if you will be my, my children. But they choose to do it themselves. That's what it says about um, they have torn down the houses of the city and even the king's palace to get materials to strengthen the walls against the siege and against the enemy because they expect to fight the Babylonians and they think they're going to win on their authority, on their power. Let me just stop here for a minute. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think that Judah and Israel have any chance to protect themselves when God has given them such a clear mandate? Let's bring this to this world for a minute. Think about your life. Are you and I, are we a rebellious people thinking that we don't have to heed the warnings of God? Are we above that somehow, some way, that we don't have to heed God's warnings? That you, that you and I can possibly make up our own rules and our own ways of living no matter what God's word says, that we're going to twist it and find the passages that, that make us feel good and, and we're going to find the ones that give us the, the, the temporary joys or pleasures of this world, whatever that looks like. See, guys, here's the point. This is the time in life that we need to be honest with ourselves and see truth for what it is. If we're ever going to have true and lasting peace, the answer is that we have to be truthful and obedient to God. We cannot do this on our own no more than the Israelites could fight the battle against Babylon on their own. Let's go back to our text. What does God say to them after he sees them preparing for their own battles? He says in verse 5, he says, You expect to fight the Babylonians, but the men of the city are already as good as dead, for I have determined to destroy them in my terrible anger. I have abandoned them because of their wickedness. Remember, he's, these people are, are disobeying God. They are flagrantly and rebelliously disobeying God. They're going their own way. They're going to fight their own battles. And God says, you guys, you're wasting your time. You're already as good as dead. In other words, you're not going to have any chance of winning this battle. Why? This is the point that I want to talk about because this is one that we don't like to talk about because God is angry. Did you hear that? God is angry. And who are we to say that he can't be angry? Hmm. We've been told too many lies from the enemy that God can never be angry because God is a God of love and that he can never be angry with us because we're his children and he loves us. Man, I can just hear the sappy way they say it. God, God loves us so much. He can't be angry with us. God never allows any bad things to happen to us. And, and God loves us. Let me just say it. It sounds, when we say it that way, it sounds like we're spoiled, entitled children who think that we have all the rights and we can have all the promises of God's word and we take them totally out of context when we say we, what we want regardless of what God feels. Now, I know that God loves us conditionally, unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. That's proven over and over again in God's word. So I don't want anyone to think that God is a mean God that has unjustifiable anger. But the point must be made that when God gets angry, it's perfectly 100% justifiable because God cannot sin. And he does not sin in his anger 
like we do. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, it says, In your anger, he's talking about us now, In your anger, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. The difference between God's anger and man's anger is that God's anger, is, it, it proves to us that he loves us. God's anger proves to us, think of this, God, God's anger proves to us that he loves us. Whereas man's anger gives the devil a foothold in our lives. Man's anger does not prove that we love God. Man's anger, it's what that's doing that's giving a little bit of a wedge in our life for the devil to come in and get his, his little foothold so that he then can keep pounding the wedge, keep pounding that sledge and wedge hammer into our, into our life to continue to break us apart. Because remember what I said before? If there's sin there, peace is not there. So God's anger proves his love for us where man's anger gives the devil a foothold in our life. Sin comes in. And peace flees. That's the foothold. Peace or sin comes in. Any level of sin, any level of disobedience, any level of rebellion, any level of God, I don't need to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. And I'm still going to expect to have peace. Well, I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't work that way. Sin comes in and peace flees. The purpose of God's righteous anger is to call us back into relationship with him. Understand, his anger is not about you. He, he loves you. He loves you. But the sin of mankind is detestable to God, and he hates the sin. He loves you so much that he wants you to know that. He's upset with the fact that we've chosen to believe the lies of the enemy over the truths of his word, and that we participate with the enemy. And you know what? That makes God angry. You see... God has the right to feel emotions just like you and I have the right to feel emotions. Somehow, somehow, for whatever reason, we have stripped God of his ability to have emotions. The, political, the politically correctness of this world today strips God of his ability to, to be an emotional God. Why, does he, why do we do it? Why do we say that? Because when we take away God's emotions, we, we take away his power. We take away his authority because we put him in a box. And that little, that little politically correct box that we put God in is that it's a sterilized box that only allows God to show us love and only shows God his grace and his mercy and his, and his favor and his long uh, suffering for us, which that is all true. But if God has those feelings, he also has feelings of emo- and emotions of anger, and that's just as important for us to realize that as those other emotions that God has. We'll come back to that in a little, in a, that point in a little bit in a, in a minute, but I want to go back to our text and keep reading God's to see God's patience and His love for the people, even though they were a stiff neck, stiff necked and inconsistent in their sin. In all of God's anger, He has a plan for the rebelliousness of of the of Jewish people. So let's go back to our text. Go back to Jeremiah chapter thirty-three. Jeremiah chapter thirty-three. Pick it up in verse six. Remember, God is just shown them his anger and said, you cannot, you will not succeed on your own. But he goes to the next verse and he says this. This is amazing. He says, nevertheless, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds and give it prosperity and what? And true peace. 
I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. Then this city will bring me joy, glory, and honor before all the nations of the earth. The people of the world will see all the good I do for my people, and they will tremble with awe at the peace and prosperity I provide for them. That blows me away that God is so patient with us that even in his anger, even in his discipline, it's all about bringing us peace. So how does that apply to us today? Well, we need to understand that God is including us in the same family as the Israelites. That in today's world, we need to bring it back into our context for today, that we're going to read here in a letter that Paul wrote to the Romans that how God sees you and I today, if I have a relationship with Jesus, I am in the family of God, and I want to prove it to you. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2. Verses, Romans chapter 8, get your Bible, open it up. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All right, now skip down in that same chapter to verse 14. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Guys, listen, you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, you are adopted into the family of God. You are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Christ. And we can't be any more a family than that. There's no other higher level of extreme can we go than be an heir of a family member. We are co-heirs. We are part of God's family. And this should be bringing us peace. I hope this is starting to bring us peace. But I, like I said earlier, we, we really can't know peace until we know where the source of peace comes from. We have to keep digging in here a little bit more. We really can't know peace until we know where it's coming from. Peace comes through love that is proven through God's righteous anger and discipline. Peace comes through love that is proven through God's, through God's anger and his discipline. Now, I know that that sounds kind of strange to say it that way because we would think peace would come from a different source. But this is where it comes from. So stay with me here. Don't, don't leave me. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. This is a very important passage because this really tells us how much God loves us. This proves the fact that God's lo God loves us in today's vernacular. So as I read this, I want to start at verse 1, and I want to start, I want to go through the first three verses first, because this kind of helps set the context of what I'm going to say next. It says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning at shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, this passage tells us God can have the emotions of joy. He gives us Jesus had joy in the midst of his problem. He had joy in the midst of his hanging on the cross. It wasn't because he enjoyed it. It's because he saw the future set before him. And we, as I said last Sunday and, and Palm Sunday messages for Easter, we are the joy that is set before him because as he, by doing what he did, that was giving him joy because he was establishing for us a relationship that we could have with him. This shows us like, that God has the right to have emotions and that he can express his emotions in the ways that are best for us. So keep that, keep that thought because this next part is going to maybe confuse you a little bit. Maybe not. I hope it doesn't. Let's continue reading on in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 4. It says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I think he stops right there. He says that so that we don't think, just don't, so you don't think you have it so hard. Guys, you haven't really done anything yet. <laughs> you haven't shed your blood. Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us. So don't think you've got to have it so bad right now. Okay, just kind of set the context for the day. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? Hmm, this word of encouragement. Get, hang on to here. Hang on to that point. This word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we, have, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought it best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Here it is. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, and here's the big word, and peace for those who have been trained by it. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about peace. And that we really can't know peace until we know its source. So do you see here that God loves you so much that he chooses to discipline you and me? Does that surprise us? Does it surprise you that God would discipline me, you? Have you been taught that God is so good that all he does is good things for us? Do you see maybe that that has fake news? <laughs> God, God loves us to the point that he's going to put us through some travesties and some hard things as an area of disciplining us because he wants us to be pure in relationship with him. That's God's love for us. So peace, where do we find it? In a broken world that's falling apart? Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 6. It says, Nevertheless, Nevertheless, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds and give it prosperity and true peace. True peace comes only from God. The same God who was angry at the people 
is also the God that brings them prosperity and peace. The same God who disciplines you as a loving father would bring you a harvest of righteousness and peace. What I'm hoping that you're getting out of this message today is that God loves you so much that he's willing to go to any extreme to call you back. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to um, have this fake peace, this false peace, this fake assurance. So he will allow lots of things. In fact, he might even cause some things. I'm just going to say it that way. He might even cause some things in your life that will bring your attention back to him because he is the God and he's the creator and we're the creation. And let's make sure we keep that pecking order straight. I don't have the right to tell God how we should feel. I don't have that right. If he's angry, he's angry. Why is he angry? Because maybe I've done something wrong and maybe he's trying to show me that I have. This is very important. Like I said at the beginning, God didn't have to save us. He could have just as easily thrown us away into eternal death and damnation and started over with a brand new idea. We don't deserve his salvation. Yet he loved us so much and he's, that he's so willing to get angry with us and to discipline us so that he can then show us how much he loves us. C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis, God, he says, God is the only comfort or the giver of peace. He is also the supreme terror, the thing we most need and the thing we most want to hide from. He is our only possible ally and we have made ourselves his enemies some talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think again. They are still only playing with religion. Goodness is either the great safety or the great danger, according to the way you react to it. And for many of us, he said, we have reacted the wrong way. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is understand that a holy God demands a holy response from those that would be found faithful to him. Anything less than that is is damnation. Anything that less than that is you don't realize what who God is. So I know this message is a little bit heavy today, and I know it may be um, upsetting us a little bit today, but just bear with me. There's good news coming. Paul was dealing with some hard-hearted people when he was talking to the Romans. And I got to say, if we're honest, that's kind of who we are too in many ways. I want to go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. In this passage, Paul is talking to the religious people of his day that were judging people, yet they were doing the same things they were judging people of doing. And Paul's response to this is this. Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 4. It says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentiles. Hmm. Pretty hard truths. But hang on, the end is coming, and it's awesome. And this is where true, true peace comes from. Go to the next, the next verse, verse 10, Romans 2, verse 10. 
but there will be glory and honor and peace. There's that word from God for all who do good, first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. There will be glory and honor and peace. That's the source. Where does peace come from? For all who do good, first for the Jew and for the Gentile. So as I conclude this morning, I know this message may have seemed hard and pretty much um, kind of in your face. And I, I, I'm not intending to do that. Other than that, I'm just speaking in love because that's the truth of God's word. And they have to speak truth and love together or we're missing the big point. So as we are struggling, as we're struggling with COVID-19 and other factors, I know there have been uh, much fear and much um, concerns about this. And some have attributed COVID-19 and this plague to be God's righteous anger as a punishment for man's sin. Now, I, I don't know that, and I'm not going to go down that path, but all I'm saying here that when God uses things like this on a global economy, on a global scale, or even the personal things that happen to me, even my own personal uh, failures, even my own personal dilemmas or my disasters, yeah, God might be using those too. God might be causing them. If I'm not living for him, he may be bringing them into my life to break me of my own stubbornness. So rather than get hung up on the question, let's just go to the answer. And the answer is God loves you to the point that he will go to any extreme to get you back. Any extreme to call your attention to himself. And my prayer is that as we view the tragedies of life in this way, that we will see the truth of God's word and we'll see his love and we'll see his justice. Finally, today I want to leave you with this passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's the key verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this morning, I know this has been a hard message, but it's the truth of God's word. And if you've stayed with me to the end, I hope that you've gotten that. And here's the thing. If you don't have the peace of God, you can have it today. You can have it today, and here's how. You can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. You can ask him today to let this be the first day of a new life for you. Maybe you've done some things in the past that you know were displeasing to the Lord. And as we said, if there's sin, there's no peace. So if you've been living a life of rebellion, this is the way to peaceful living. This is the way right now. So it all starts with praying. And I want to pray with you this morning. And I want to pray. And again, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take the step to know where your peace comes from and then to live in it. So if you would, would you just close your eyes with me? And I want to pray. And I, would you just pray this prayer with me or something like it? Would you just say, Dear Jesus, I understand your anger and your discipline. And I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me, Jesus. Help me to turn from the sin that you're angry about. Help me to accept your discipline as a loving father would discipline his children. Lord, I surrender to you this morning. Please, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me and just bring me into that relationship with you that brings eternal peace. That's my prayer. So listen, I'm just going to ask you this morning, 
if you've prayed that prayer, maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to pray it again, would you call me? Please reach out to somebody. Tell somebody that you have a new life change. Tell somebody that you recognize the fact that you were living a wrong way and now this is a way that you've chosen to live and, and you have questions or whatever. Please, there's my phone number. It's right behind me. I'm not afraid to give it out. So if you, if you need to, I'm here. And I would love it if you would call me. Have a blessed day today. And know that God has got everything in store and he's got everything under control. The true source of peace is relationship with Jesus. Amen. Be blessed.